Alright, sugar tits. Sugar tits? <laughs> Is that who I am? Yeah, you and your sweet nipples. I We've discussed my nipples on this show. Oh, we Do have you remember? I just think that I think what the listeners deserve is a special ASMR show from your tiny nipples. From my tiny nipples. <laughs> you can just rub them against the microphone. Maybe I will. With the gain turned up. <laughs> yeah, well, we're go- as we're going into the third wave, sometimes it feels like the only thing that really makes sense is tiny nipple ASMR. Or? Uh, I mean... No, maybe, maybe there's other things that make sense. No, no, I think if we look, I'm just thinking of like third wave feminism. Like basically that is like the Judith Butler of podcasts. Like what? <laughs> like what gender trouble was to the rest of feminism. Just like tiny nipple ASMR. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> incomprehensible, but intensely queer experience. <laughs> when you said third wave feminism, I just thought Buffy. <laughs> I like yeah I, I fucking love those third wave feminist uh, 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 those third wave feminist icons like that were like fighting demons and stuff in like a chunky high heeled boot yeah like, <laughs> and I like that was I was looking at that and I was like that is my ideal self <laughs> yeah I saw one of my friends uh, uh, Jay Barry Matthews on Instagram just like uh, camping in a heel and it's like such an action heel I'm like I've messaged them already being like tell me where you got these from I need some Jay actually has a really really good collection of heels I bet they do yeah oh, yeah God, brilliant get in there and get trying them on I want to come out there with a heel on every like every corner of my body I saw someone do that, but with dildos. <laughs> I mean, and then I want to meet up with that guy. Yeah. That girl, yeah. that person, that them. That them. <laughs> I believe we should use, use the, just instead of guy, we should use purse. Purse. As in the, fir- <laughs> the, first, the first syllable of the word person. Yeah, yeah. Because so it's like, like casual. Hey, purses. Hey, purse. I think it's it should also be, but it should be like sheep. So it can be a singular or multiple. Yeah, an yeah, abbreviate. Yeah, an abbreviate of purse or per, of person or persons. Uh huh. Sure. Also purse. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm. Yeah, I could like, I could, I could. I've just. <laughs> my you brain is. Your brain is. Your brain is what? Your my brain, brain is what? gone completely blank. And you know what that reminds me of? What? That reminds me of our theme for this week. <laughs> yeah, it's about to say. I was like, oh my God, how do I come up with a segue? And I was like, I can't. And I'm like, well, I think that works. Uh, but <laughs> I before think we that... get on to that, I am Queen of the Heavens and of the Earth, Empress of Despair, Architect of Your Eternal Suffering, Olympia Bukakis. And with any luck, I'm your next wet dream, oozing gloop. <laughs> and you're listening to our podcast, Slurry. Slurry. I like the way you just breathe in there thinking, God, are you really going to be my next wet dream? No, I was thinking like... Fuck, I'd love to have a wet dream. We we also talked about this in the dreams episode. But like, it's like, yeah, I feel like I've I've earned one. I'm doing doing a lot of self-care, so I want to be able to come in my sleep. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, I have, yeah, I've thought about this a lot recently. I think I want to have wet dreams more than most people want to have wet dreams. I, you definitely, definitely, definitely do because the vast majority of people don't want to have wet dreams. That, that is incomprehensible to me. 
Well, I I just, I don't understand why you just don't wake up and wank, because that's what I do. And then basically it starts the heart thumping and there's just, then I'm like ready to get out of bed. Because you're supposed to enter the day gently. For me, it's got to be kicking and screaming. I'm just like... <laughs> no, like the last thing I want to do when I wake up is vigorous exercise. I want to wake up. I want to um, like pull open the curtain and look out into the sky and think, fuck, I'm so sad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to ruin that that moment with like with vigorous physical activity. Yeah. Self, with self-abuse. What, what What? are you afraid of? Some endorphins? Uh, no, I actually would really like some endorphins. Endorphins. Right actually, I get them from working out. Oh, but yeah, so um, uh, today's theme is... Burnout. 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 As you can burn. tell from the... the burn? Burnout. As you can tell from the blistering desert that is Olympia's blasted mind. Yeah, it's like scorched earth. <laughs> it's like this is like this is like my brain like like after after the Mongols sacked Baghdad and just destroyed it, like that's my brain right now. I mean I was yeah. just gonna say the Australian outback. You know in um Priscilla Queen of the Desert when the bus breaks down? Yeah. That Yeah, but the outback to me doesn't it's like <laughs> I was just gonna say the stupidest thing. Oh, go on, go on. <laughs> the the outback to me is just—it reminds me of home. <laughs> <laughs> the outback to me doesn't appear to be like a barren place. The outback to me is. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I was gonna go with some sort of like absurd, uh, like absurd. Uh, like colonial nostalgia or something like that. No, but like the outback, <laughs> like because Australia is so big. People think that Australians have been to the outback, but Australia is so big that the vast majority of Australians have never been to the outback. I mean, like, I think Australia is quite interesting because, in essence, what is called "quote unquote" Australia is essentially a glorified coastline. Yeah, and parts of that coastline are not glorious. We have this thing, <laughs> the Gold Coast. And it's, fucking trashy it's so fucking trashy um, i mean it's like it's like but this is like what a market store when you see like fashion tights and then um... <laughs> it's like they are not tight and they are not fashion <laughs> okay whereas also as well like also one of the one of the one of the one of the glorious places in australia is i believe is botany bay botany bay is uh, yeah i like think it's I... super bougie and beautiful and everything like that yeah, it's, suppo- uh, it's I think it's where is it I think it's where the first fleet landed. I don't know. It was one of the first places to be colonized in Australia. In the UK in uh Margate where basically all of Sink the Pink moved to to uh once they were done gentrifying East London um and decided to go for a private coastal town. Uh there is um there is an area there that and that's called Botany Bay. Oh really? Yeah, oh. so yeah, so I'm pretty sure that Botany Bay yeah, is Australia's yeah, name for Margate. Mass, massive nostalgia. Like Australia was also it was uh, called New Holland for some uh, for some uh, for a while, um, uh, but that turned out not to be a thing. Anyway, New York, burnout. Okay. 
Burnout, yeah, wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I suggested this theme because this this is the last episode that we do before we go monthly. So Indeed. Been... I, oh, dear listeners, what you can't see is that Olympia's holding a pencil like a magic wand in a bid to try and keep herself slightly more focused. Yeah, it's my... You know the, you know the French word for uh, magic wand? Baton. No. Oh. Baguette magique. <laughs> baguette magique it's true baguette magique because baguette okay. means stick yeah. oh okay wait lol baguette magique so yeah. anyway that's us just dropping the heartbreaking knowledge bomb to all of our listeners who've been in love with us since the guilt episode uh that indeed <laughs> yeah we, we, really, we are going monthly i think we're, we're quitting while we're ahead we're um, quitting while we're ahead it's like the, re- <laughs> yeah. the reaction that we had to the guilt episode last week is the reaction that we've been wanting to have like every week since <laughs> top of october and then like we make the decision like okay we've got to go we're gonna go uh monthly and then everyone's like this episode is so good i vomited blood out of my eyes or something like, i don't know that's not an awesome. asshole yeah, yeah. And to be honest, to be honest, uh, to give you a little behind the scenes peek, even that was supposed to be something else. And then due to an unfortunate mishap, that episode was entirely accidental anyway. But hey, look at that. Happy accidents. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, just, I was going to say me, but actually. But I we're mean... going monthly because basically Olympia has been dragging this thing along with me like a dead weight behind it for this entire time. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it's, no. No, uh, in terms of the unseen work, so thank you very much, Olympia. But yes, we are going to go monthly because it's a way of expressing... We're coming back round, actually, to the censored topic of uh, boundaries. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, hi, Nicola. We had someone write to us, uh, uh, a dear listener, write to us uh, to ask why it is that we uh, didn't talk about boundaries. And then, actually, she guessed pretty well about why it was... Uh, which was like, she was like, I'm guessing that it has something to do with like national borders and the neoliberal subject and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, basically. Um, yeah. But, um, but uh, I thought it would be interesting to talk about this because where we are with this project, I really, really love it. Um, but I want to, I want to con- continue to be able to do it. And I've noticed that with um, unpaid or unfunded projects, very often what I do is that I do them over and over and over and over and then at a certain point I just stop doing them completely because I don't have the energy to do them anymore Um, Mm. because I reach a kind of burnout. Uh, Not like burnout, burnout, but like whenever I... No, it's a little bit of like a bit of a burnout because whenever I think about it, I I start to get this static in my brain. And so we're going monthly now so that we can do well-researched episodes uh, and we'll release them on the first Monday of every month. Um, Oh, good to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean also as well, it's just worth it's just worth mentioning as well that obviously a, a giant a giant strength of the of the podcast is that we're very different and that then but we have a lot in common and stuff like that as well. But obviously that require in and also as well with all our artistic project well that requires a certain form of labour as well of like knowing how to coordinate so they also protect our friendship as well, which is very important to me. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, and so I was interested <clears throat> to talk about burnout because I think I, like with this, um, like how we, how we pick topics, it's usually the, the easiest way to do it is like, what am I currently experiencing right now? And 
how does that make me think about the rest of the world? We we literally did the theme juggling because whilst Olympia asked me what theme we should be doing, I was looking at a set of juggling balls that were on my shelf. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was how that came about. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll also add as well as that we did, that basically is that we're also interested in, uh, We I looked into a Patreon to see if we could like create, because some people do that to get, to get funded, to make things, but that itself is too much work. So what I was thinking is that we are considering, we are considering getting a, a slurry, a slurry speaks only fans. So you can, if you want to give us a little tip each month. I, I, I am so skeptical of Slurry getting an OnlyFans, but uh, this is a collaborative project. So if you do all of the work so that we have an OnlyFans, I am there for it one hundred percent. What I will be doing is putting uh, a pay- PayPal link uh, in the the comments uh, for this episode, and mm. if you have enjoyed. Uh, this project up until now we also have to pay money to host these episodes uh, online on SoundCloud <coughs> uh, so uh, Olympia you, has to pay money <laughs> yeah Olympia is so paying if money you, um, if you would uh, like to help us keep this podcast alive you can uh, feel free to go to the PayPal link I didn't I didn't want to be I didn't want it to be something that we ask for every week and blah because it's so annoying but like uh, if you've enjoyed the podcast up until now it would be a great help uh, if you donate any amount, uh, if that's available to you. If not, continue listening to this gripping and interesting discussion of that awful phenomenon, which is burnout. So I wanted to start, Glute. Yeah, let's fucking go into you, it. Have, that boring have, shit. Have, you, have you experienced burnout? I have experienced burnout. I have not, but um, uh, I have experienced a specific phenomena referred to as autistic burnout. Ta-da. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, do you, what, so what's, what's autistic burnout? What's autistic burnout? Well, this is, it's very interesting because also it's basically is that we can all get, you know, like, what is the difference between burnout and autistic burnout is quite a different, uh, it's not so clear and it's also as well like, uh, but there is a distinct, there is a very, there is a distinction between burnout and autistic burnout. It's not just autistic people taking something else like and putting the word autistic in front of it to make themselves feel more special uh which for a while i thought it was um <laughs> i had an autistic bike accident oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, i uh, like it's I kind mean, of an amazing move <laughs> i know right <laughs> it's like you enjoy your dinner i'm having my autistic dinner <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also sort of at the same time, part of me kind of loves that, but like, I mean, it was sort of, but basically, yeah. So, um, so the problem with autistic burnout is that autistic people are performing an extra, an extra set of layer of labor called, called masking, basically. And what masking is, is the process whereby which you try and sort of take your, your behaviors and you are continually modifying them to an unspoken consensus that you do not intuitively understand, but you have to keep in mind all the knowledge of to act as if you do intuitively understand it or else you will be socially ostracised. That's basically it, because people will just be like, you're really weird. <laughs> like, and and that's, I'm, that's neither wrong nor right, it, nor any kind of thing. It's just a simple very basic observation of fact that unless you conform to a certain social behavior you will end up with with no friends and being chucked out and i we we try and 
be more open and more welcoming and all of these things and stuff but we also live in a world where you can't just necessarily like have any weird creepy person coming up to you and sort of behaving in an awful way. blah 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 anyway look it's just a lot of work being autistic basically and then this <laughs> this extra and it's only really being understood now because uh, a lot of the time autistic people didn't make it to the point where they had autonomous lives basically autonomous adult lives they would be homeless alcoholics or uh or living in permanent care kind of thing and, and this is happening more so um so there's burnout which is obviously just you know being being uh, exhausted and stuff like that but the specific thing about autistic burnout is it necessitates a certain reality loss at the mm -hmm. same time and so autistic burnout's really bad or when it autistic really but is but it's because i basically uh i forget how to cook <laughs> how to really? get dressed and how to clean basically yeah it's just sort of like or it's just this this thing where you you end up just being in the kitchen just staring at things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah you know and it's just like or you you end up burning food or the food that you cook is just tasting really bad like with this thing and so fortunately as i've managed to to get access to more finance uh older now i can afford to order food during these times which is yeah. nice you know which is just kind of like and then also that that uh and that takes it off that takes so basically but it's, the thing is is basically when you're autistic you just don't have access to intuition in the same way as everyone else does so every single activity is a form of intentional labor more or less so this is also why autistic people seem to be very clever at the same time as also being very stupid Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's just like when you're thinking all the time about everything it's like your your brain's in like a brain gym all the time so of course you can just start thinking about other things very easily but at the same time as well if, you, if it's an, a non-natural activity it's very easy for you to just drop the ball so and um and so but there's there's a there is no empirical definition currently of autistic burnout it's something that uh it's hotly contested on the people are talking about online and basically, it's not really a very, it's not a perfect thing, but it's it's a start. Mm -hmm. It's a start on the way that uh, autistic people are experiencing it. And there's there's questions about, there's basically, uh, autistic people have a 35% rate of plans of suicide or attempts at suicide. This is one statistic. There's many different, there's many different things. It depends on what is actually, so I don't know what the normal suicide rate is. But also as well, like, for example, hyperverbal autistic people are most likely to kill themselves when they're 54 Hyperverbal. Hyperverbal autistic people. What, what like, does that mean? I'm hyperverbal. <laughs> like, I, I was suspecting. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I think I just literally talked for five minutes solid. And yeah. then it was just like, I'm like, yes. Like very, so yeah. so what's, what, is, what is that description? like? It means someone who is more towards the invisible end of the spectrum yeah. of autism and more higher functioning a higher functioning uh, autistic person as opposed to say a non-verbal autistic person who's yeah. like way down in the deep end and uh, and also so there's life expectancy so different types of autism have different types of life expectancy but yeah. there's there's certain suicidal ideation is within within certain areas it's more prevalent uh, than others but a part of this as well is, is thought because there's just this this excess of work so Basically, I did last year during 2020, I, I managed to do a tour, a successful tour, four day tour at the beginning of 2020 that went really, really well. And I'm really grateful for and stuff. But the 
with a whole year of work before that to get ready for it. And then when the pandemic hit, because I was just like, I've just got to get through the first week of March and then everything's plain sailing was like my self-care plan. And of course. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In the first week of March 2020, I was just like, and then I just hit burnout. And basically I took six weeks off and I tried to do an online course and I just slipped into this, the period of my life we call Slug Woman. Um, and it was just terrible. It was just terrible. I was just, I just couldn't like, I was just watching TV the entire time. I couldn't get dressed. It was just like, Ugh. and eventually I was like, right, this is not helping me recover. I have physically recovered my energy, but I'm not getting myself together mentally by doing this. So I went to a Black Lives Matter protest and then on the way back, I, uh, I cycled back. And then that's when I, I slipped my handbag in my front tire and I went over the handlebars and I broke both my arms. Um, just like, and so then I obviously had to take it easy for another six weeks to, to sort of like, uh, uh, let those heal, which actually arguably kind of was in terms of my mental state, it was actually very good because the thing is I was always already mentally disabled, but then because I was physically disabled, people helped me with, you helped me with shopping, people helped me with shopping, people helped me get myself back together. So actually Ah. in a curious way, it kind Hmm. of like being physically disabled in that moment actually let people see the, the problem I was going through as such. But also by that point it ends well. And then, and then, and then I became an alcoholic basically uh, <laughs> after all that, which I've talked about at length and things. Yeah. But yeah, that was the last time that I, that's basically the last time that I worked so hard and without really thinking about my boundaries or borders, or really understanding them as well. You know, like mm-hmm. there is no, I'm thinking about creating like a, just a zine called like a handbook for autistic artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like, it's just a set of things to say, just a really simple thing to give a younger artist, say someone who's in their 20s, now I'm 30, say like, I've been working for 10 years and these are some lessons I've learned. Yeah. So, but yeah, reflections. So I think that, yeah. <clears throat> cool. Yeah, I think mm. when I try and um, understand <clears throat> like uh, autistic burnout, the way that you describe it, it's like, like the burnout sounds similar to burnout symptoms that I've experienced, but like under different circumstances, which, which means like the labor is under different circumstances. I read, Mm. um, there was an article in the guardian, which I found really interesting. Uh, it was like in the last week, maybe I'll try and find it and put it in the comments. Um, uh, of, uh, it was by an autistic writer and she was saying that like, she's really loved lockdown over the last year because, <laughs> because, because like she feels bad, but like contact is so exhausting for her that like she's had a bit of an excuse, but now she's going out and she was d- describing examples of masking as like, uh, like having to consciously remember uh, to make eye contact, which uh, she, she feels is pointless um yeah. and uh uh to not laugh because um like ever unless it's really clear that she's supposed to laugh because people get upset when she laughs at the wrong times um <laughs> and like she described she has a very very clear like uh like the list of things that she's consciously uh remembering mm. is quite long very it's a very clear description of masking so that's yeah. why it could be useful but well, and, so like when you take like so like rather than like when I try and understand this, I just try and understand the, the, the regular conditions of labor that I experience. And then like, think about these other, uh, like this masking as a kind of labor uh, yeah. on top of that, right? And the great thing is now is everyone has to wear a mask. 
<laughs> Everyone's got to wear it. I kind of love it. It's like we all have to wear masks and keep social distance from each other. I'm like, thank fuck. Like, there's some externalized thing. And so, so now as well, like for my to for my own sense of enrichment and to have more effective and and communicative relationships with people around me, I make eye contact and I I go into it. But what I used to do to just sort of like put other people at ease and just make things easy is I used to just like look at the spot between people's eyes. Ah. Because yeah. if you just stare there, then you don't have to make eye contact with people, but people feel like they have your attention. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes conversations easier. Yeah. So it's just like, it's, it's, yeah, it's really interesting. What is your experience of burnout? Um, I, it's funny. I have only really experienced burnout um, in uh, like, I'm, I feel like I'm more likely to experience it the more sort of like successful or supported my work becomes. So like when I was um, like... Wait, sorry, you're more likely. So the, the, yeah. the, so as the stakes get increased, like the more, the more there is, the more there is the good thing, the more there, yeah. this risk comes with it. Because I've done like, uh, like really, like when I, but other than drag... I've worked mm. in bars, call centers, and hospitality. Um, and so they're all um, like, for hospitality is really physically grueling and also really mental, uh, like emotionally draining because uh, of the service aspect. Um, mm. And it's often in small businesses which have a financial incentive to, ex uh, to exploit you even more than they're legally allowed to. Um, and then call centers have a certain kind of existential, moral, um, and, uh, spiritual, uh, rot in them. It's, 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 like, yes. it's, it's like the kind of work it's, it's work that alienates you from yourself, which, you know, is like work under capitalism, uh, the vast majority of work under capitalism, but it's work that alienates you from your soul like mm. and i don't believe in the soul except for when i'm trying to describe what call center work is like it's so so bad wow um, <laughs> and it's like really cruel like uh like in call centers working i have i i had a um a manager who consistently pulled me aside and let me know that my toilet breaks were too long which <laughs> is so humiliating to, to, like when someone says to you, you're going to the bathroom for too long, because in that environment, in that physical and social environment, if everyone else is like going to the bathroom for a shorter time than you, apparently, like, which is not the case, but like when your manager is telling you this, it's hard not to believe it. So it's like I was being bullied for the length of time that I was going to the toilet. Um, I experienced less burnout in all of those jobs than I do as like a moderately successful artist. Um, so, and like also as a drag queen when that was my main income and I was like, you know, like I, I think I experience it more now. Um, and I think I experienced a kind of burnout. What it feels like when I get it is that mm. there's a certain static in my brain. Mm. So I go to like, I go to do something and then I just can't. Um, uh, and so like, usually it's to do with work. Um, uh, but sometimes it's to have a conversation or answer an email. Yeah. Like, 
um, and it's that static gets so loud that I um, that I like I just can't continue. Um, mm. Or otherwise, it feels like um, bending your arm too far back. It feels like something mentally, like Ooh. like uh, stretching your fingers too far back or something. But like it's like bending a limb a way that it shouldn't go, and it feels wrong. So I had this after Ooh. after my breakup when I had to perform very intensively, and I could feel every time that I was getting on stage and talking to people that I was bending a limb further and further back, and I was getting more and more concerned that I was going to break something. So that 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 is what like burnout kind of feels like for me but it's a very strange feeling of like static um mm. and it's for some reason i didn't experience it in a really cruel dehumanizing um like labor that's like typical of like um like working class labor in uh in the like so-called like post-industrial west yeah, but this is because basically what's kind of interesting, right, is that um, like the dreams and the market are both sort of like quite inter uh, quite interesting. What sort of like dream a dream is sort of like or the unconscious mind as well. Basically, it's uh, a form of thinking. It's a form that resembles thinking that is not thinking, basically. Mm -hmm. as well do you kind of get me like this is the with the structure of dreams or the subconscious mind as well and it's also that basically this is going on in the market as well that actually that there's a certain exchange of like various things and so it creates the conditions it moves all these things around all these symbols and signs and it creates the conditions of thought but it's not like you thinking about something when you walk around and all these you know this this flow and all these things and that <clears throat> in all of these jobs as well is that you is that there is already there is a structure and an environment that does the thinking for you. It gives mm. you a sense of mm -hmm. place. It tells you where you are kind of thing. And, um, and I think this is interesting because also you, you identified that maybe some of our listeners are experiencing burnout from be from during the pandemic, from all of these things and stuff like that as well. Yeah. So I think, well, yeah, because with, as, as an artist, it's because I think it's interesting that the, the, the infrastructure for us is shifting away from this and far more onto ourselves and our individuation and the fact that we all have to use our laptops to do this home office and that we all have to provide the infrastructure that is keeping the environment running. And in this as well as that then we all are becoming these artistic figures then who have the responsibility. You It's like now, because the thing is, is even though you had those things, you individually yourself weren't responsible for the whole crafting of it. You didn't have to think through all of these things and that you essentially as well ultimately knew that you uh, were able to walk away from all of these things eventually and go, that was gross. Whereas... Yeah, I didn't, yeah. Have, to be, I didn't have to be my own manager because I was being micromanaged, often by a bully, yeah. but I was, I was being managed. Yeah, this is, uh, this is a very, like... Um, a good segue into because I wanted to bring up this thing that like um, so like we're both like self-employed like with like scare quotes scare quotes <laughs> is that like with the, you know where that thing that pretentious people do with their two fingers when they're saying something that they're doing have. it right now wait two yeah. seconds listen listen this is they're rubbing on the microphone <laughs> yeah exactly so um, so like we're self-employed artists um, which means that you often who, who you use the self as our primary means as our primary medium yeah exactly but this is also why i stayed uh using my drag name actually when i started performing outside drag context because i was like so much of this as like the freelance 
uh, like self-employed artist is that you turn yourself into a brand. Um, mm. And if I have to do that, then it's like, sure, but I'm going to set the terms of that brand. Because like who I am as the person who is not Olymp- like doesn't use the name Olympia this, I'm like a person who has and like like a history and like uh, like and a family and like I don't know this whole thing like I, I, I can't I don't want to reduce that to some fiction that like um, I have to sell in order to pay my rent so that's why I like stayed as Olympia also because I like drag but um, <laughs> um but this was a like a consideration but um there's I, like lots of people make this argument that uh, like that the ideal sort of like worker subject or not the ideal but like the um not ideal is in in terms of good but like the in the popular imagination of the the worker subject everyone increasingly becomes like an artist this is a very famous idea i don't know who first came up with that but intellectual Mm. property is theft so um uh, that's like (laughs) did you like that That gets a tick in my book. (laughs) Um, So it's uh, that, like, um, increasingly the condition of the artist uh, is something that's being uh, expanded outwards. That you do, like, this kind of like creative labor that involves, like, the marketing of the self um, and. yeah, and that one is really passionate and uh, like and uh, like commits their whole life to this. And this is something that um, Sarah Jaff talks about in her book "Work Won't Love You Back," mm. which is, I think, such a good uh, such a good title. Now, I haven't read this book, <laughs> <laughs> but there's. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got a great blurb. <laughs> I haven't even read the blurb. But I, uh, she is... Um, it's got a great title. Yeah. <laughs> she, she just sounds cool. <laughs> Why don't you no. just take a pic? I mean, like, you, like this would have just been better if you... I mean, you should have just made this as a meme. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think I'm so good at visual languages. Um, but um, the... Like, she has gone... There's a podcast called The Dig... Uh, which is mm. uh, like the Jacobin uh, magazine podcast. And uh, it's run by uh, Daniel Denver. He invited Sarah Jeff on to the show as uh, a guest one time. And um, she uh, like, so, and so I listened to this episode and if you want to get a, like an outline of this idea, it's really, really great. He's a really good interviewer. He's very knowledgeable. And um, uh, and she's really articulate when she's talking about her work. And she talks about how work, uh, like after the World War II in like Europe and the uh, like so-called like ad- advanced capitalist societies. Um, uh, <laughs> what? Gloop just did something very funny, but I can't say <laughs> yes. like, it was very funny. Um, but, um, after so like after World War Two in uh, like in Western Europe, the US, and I guess in Australia and, and, and Canada, and you know like these places, um, uh, there there was this idea through the concessions that were won by the working class. Um, there was this idea that work was not something that you loved. It was just like work work sucks. Everyone agrees mm. that work sucks, and therefore people should have good working conditions and then get enough time off so that they can actually enjoy life. Because the the thing about life that's enjoyable is the part outside of work. So this was mm. the like com- like collectively like agreed idea basically, mm. and so people tried to get uh, 
jobs and to have jobs and to like uh, change the jobs that they already had into ones that had good conditions so that they could have good lives. Not because their, li their job was super fulfilling, but because in return for doing that job, they got other, other things that make a life fulfilling. Hmm. And she makes this argument that over the last few decades, this paradigm has changed to uh, this one of find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because also this is just to just to illustrate what the benefits of that were. That was, you know, this is when this is the Simpson the situation of the Simpsons that Homer Simpson can be the sole breadwinner of the household. That was the idea that you know the job would be of such a good condition that one man would be able to work and and sustain a family from there, and that you know so that was this and that we have changed into this like this situation. Yeah, and so you come home to uh, a family unit that like like full of meaningful relationships and then you have the resources to do other things that make life nice like go on holidays um or uh like celebrate certain occasions and stuff like that yeah. so um save so, for your children's future yeah exactly um and so this changes like basically in our lifetimes um yeah. and so i remember already a bit also i'd finished high school in a private school so i'm not actually sure what the equivalent of that would have been in the public school uh that i had like started high school at but the um but the idea was that everyone is like everyone's yeah actually it's a really middle class sentiment everyone needs to work work really hard at school so that they can then get a like a good and fulfilling job afterwards ah um, yeah but th yeah this is just deferred gratification which is basically which is the middle class value of cultural capital but like yeah. also as well like you know I like came from like the single parent family on benefits and in a council estate and my mum was always just like look you've got to engage in deferred uh, capital and stuff like that yeah. so and it's very interesting because my grandparents never owned a house, but they raised three children who all went off to go phenomenally, like they never owned a house in their entire lives. And they all raised, you know, who phenomenally went beyond their class, their class origins through a certain work ethic that was quite an old school, like working class sort of the earth, but this very old school, like deferred gratification, like, you know, be very careful with your money, all of these things. So it's very interesting because there is an interplay of one's attitude or, you know, with these things, like, and there is still cultural capital. There are many different types of capital. Uh, and the issue in life actually isn't so much capital to a certain extent, it's class. It's class structures, because the point is, it doesn't really matter how much capital, you know, it's it, if you, depending on where you are, ultimately the class structure will determine what your destiny is. If you're born into the owners, you will live on as an owner. If you're born into the workers, you'll be a worker no matter what. Yeah. And we have um, this, like this ideology that really stresses the possibility of uh, class mobility. And like I experience, in my lifetime have experienced uh, class yeah. mobility um, and like but often within a series of classes that are all ultimately within the that the the lump the the mass beneath uh, a very tiny percentage of people that is true <laughs> own the means true. of production that is true yeah but, so it's, but yeah. like the but the like in the broader scheme of things not very big but also considering the circumstances of my birth and uh where i am now still quite surprising yeah um and that like that requires like uh like uh, like th this, like this, the, this work ethic, um, and this, mm -hmm. like an inherited work ethic, um, uh, like can, like, of course that net alone can never, uh, like achieve that because what one needs is, uh, like the material conditions for that, which is largely explained by, uh, oil drilling on the Bass Strait, 
which is the part in between mainland Australia and Tasmania, which uh, where people were working, which allowed them like that, which uh, meant that workers could earn high enough wages that there was um, uh, some class mobility going on there. But yeah, uh, the what I think. Um, like the thing that stands out is that she points like the, the ideal jobs that are held up now are creative jobs, like jobs where you can go to work and fulfill yourself and articulate yourself and self actualize. And we both have one of those jobs, right? Mm. So, and like, so, and, but um, <laughs> we're not very well paid for it, but um, that, so like, you know, an advertising ex- executive or like, mm. uh, or a consultant who can be creative about ruining people's lives. Um, like also like consultants yeah. like, like I don't I don't believe in revenge um, <laughs> but if I'm running the revolution I would not want to be a consultant oh my in that scenario <laughs> like, I think that... just the sheer insolence of people calling themselves a consultant as though one that's a thing and two that's a thing that you shouldn't be ashamed of <laughs> I'm gonna assaultant that consultant. <laughs> like, okay, look, I think that's look, but there's also this is all this is interesting, but there's also as well like I think this can all basically be summarized by the slogan like enjoy coke, you know, which is this comes from this sort of like this this really uh like this injunction to enjoy things all the time. We should be enjoying things, yeah. like you know. And there's a really interesting book that also that I haven't read that has a great title. No, but I have read. I've read part of it. I've read part of it. I've read enough of it to get the concept. It's called Cruel Optimism. I think I, it's a strength that we admit that we haven't read things because yeah. <laughs> most of the time people don't admit it, and then everyone feels like they're dumb for only having read small parts of things. No, but like just, you have yeah. a life to live, babe. You don't need to read all of Cruel Optimism if you don't want to. Just get the, get the shape of it. But basically it's this idea that one's attitude can fix one's problems. Like optimism can cure cancer, yeah. basically. Like stick it with all of these things. And it's cruel optimism because the thing, the, what's, the optimism becomes cruel when the subject will not necessarily survive the, fa- the, the removal of the thing that is keeping them in this place. So the thing is that the idea that of this class aspiration is completely null and void. And it's just, you know, you're always just going to be like stuck in a, a certain situation but then also if you were to take the hope of class aspiration away from certain people, they would just collapse in on themselves. Mm-hmm. And so even this this fantasy, certain fantasy, and I think you can also, I mean, you can see this as well with the way that people worship Trump as well. This is a, a like the a, a, like the culmination of this process of cruel optimism where people were like, ah, and this person who is a complete like millionaire who's only going to do everything to support uh, him's friends and a, a tiny elite ah uh, he's gonna save us kind of thing and it's just like this is the the ideological underpinning of any of these people's life that's why there's this like and it's the ideological underpinnings of white supremacy as well that's just you know that people that they're that the white working class certain sections of the white working class in america believe that somehow they're better because of this uh this is something that many people have recorded and sort of like the way in which that like racism, but I, uh with the way in which like race works in america specifically but like, and the thing is as well is that then the, the people are, are like have this reality loss, like, you know, with this thing where there are some people who are still convinced that Donald Trump is the president. Because actually, if you were to remove that from them, then something about their, their psychic universe would collapse in some way. I don't know. But I think what's more interesting about to think about this situation with like the idea that your job should be something that creatively fulfills you uh, versus your job should be something that sustains you and then you should be creatively fulfilled outside of that is to also look at economic policy throughout the 20th century 
Mm-hmm. And that's because I'm reading this really interesting book called uh, Debt the First 5,000 Years I mentioned before. And uh, By David Graeber? Yeah, by David Graeber. It's great. And basically, it's just so interesting. Basically, money works as... The way money works is that someone... It basically, it's like an IOU. So someone does someone else a favour and then writes down an IOU for it or something like that has a favour. And then the other person can kind of basically exchange that favour with other people and then it can work as a medium of exchange or as a money of a sort. As long as... But the irony is that original person can never pay it, pay it back, basically. And that basically this all money is basic money and markets emerge at the same time basically states create money but there's this very large myth within economics that money exists independently and states came afterwards kind of thing whereas but there's there's uh it involves a lot of thought experiments so basically money is something that is ultimately state regulated in some way and the idea of like economics as an independent field is something that uh is just it's it's kind of basically it's a thought experiment to to sort of just create this realm that is not somehow socially responsible but actually economics emerges from social relations and so the long and the short of it is that there were a series of disasters uh, economically and which culminated in the great depression after which like uh keynesian keynesian economic policies were taken in place which is basically the idea that the state should be looking after uh, the market and stabilizing it in certain ways and you know doing certain things and so there's a, there's a really excellent episode if you want to understand uh keynesian economics listen mm. to bad gaze their episode episode on john maynard Keynes. it's yep. uh it's it's really amazing because it's often conflated with the welfare state but it's actually much more to do with what you just said yep 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 and ultimately the welfare state emerged out of this but the welfare state also emerged out of the post-war consensus because the working classes had just been fighting in europe for all of these times and that basically the nhs in the uk for example emerged from this because also as well as they were worried is because there was a credible left-wing option yeah they were scared about revolution they were scared about revolution so there's this so basically then what happened is these policies were dropped in the 1970s when neoliberalism emerged and that also as well as it then that these... well in different places in different times right because it was like it was a it was a, a slow transition slash war so you have it like first tried out in chile mm. i think it's 1973 yeah. and then it comes that starts to come to prominence with um margaret thatcher in the uk and, and that's 1980 yeah Yes, so, and then yes, and then very often, uh, like as it goes on, it's the social democrats who do who are the ones who implement it. It was uh, Schröder um, in Germany who in, implemented the Hartz IV laws, which basically like criminalized criminalized poverty. It's terrible. But yeah, yeah it's, it's fucking awful. So basically, as well, this is and this is also as well. That, and then basically, because there was also a gigantic financial crisis in the nineteen seventies that was blamed on greedy unions mm. uh, in the UK, at any rate. And basically, it was all, it was solved by. And then this is when uh, credit cards emerged. Yeah. And then basically, we were living on a credit bubble until two thousand and eight, when there was that financial crisis as well. So and um, and the thing is that also there were certain protect. We're also there. There's it's entirely possible another financial crisis is like in the works because certain other protections that were put in place around the Great Depression have been removed. Mm-hmm. So, but I think that what's very interesting, right, is that when we basically, it's about this idea that economics 
and your job is some kind of like free roaming you know when it comes from being something that's seen as a social function into an individual task yeah. and the individualization and so therefore it's sort of this kind of thing of like basically say it's a way to get people more addicted to work by saying ah this not you've got a good job this is a privilege it's fulfilling you in all these other ways kind of thing ignores the fact that actually you have a right to be fulfilled outside of your employment exactly exactly and i think um yeah that was very well articulated i I, (laughs) um i like what i find kind of interesting is like the reason i found this interview with her so interesting is that it's like i do now have a job in which i uh like i'm respected i experience a a level of respect You feel like you're respected. <laughs> well, like, no, I just am. Like, I've, I've worked in a call centre. I've worked in uh, a bar. I've worked in a cafe. I started working in cafes when I was 10. Um, yeah. Like, I have experienced a lot, like, a lot of the degradation, like, all of the degradations that go with working in two of the nastiest service jobs. Um, mm. And... Um, and, and like I felt how it changed the way I thought about myself. So I could go to school and do very well and be considered smart. And then I would go to my job at like the noodle bar and then be considered idiot, uh, an idiot because I cut my uh, hand on a grater that was unsafe to be using because it was too old. Uh, and then I became an idiot. So like I've, I've um, experienced like what happens to you in those mm. jobs i oh, know no, no, yeah no but yeah no you're right no you get it it's just like so i'm just thinking about the fact that um when i lost my job working in a kitchen after i because i used to have to uh, scrub 60 kilos of muscles and like i remember one time i was supposed to finish in the morning shift and just like by three i only got them done by three in the afternoon and i just became slower and slower and slower and when i finished the boss was like let's go and have a word outside and i remember i went through like with i just remember like I don't think my shoulders have ever been more slumped in my entire life. And they were like, yeah, we don't think it's working out. And I was like, yeah, it's not. And then the guy who was there, he was like, you know, it's amazing because when you started this job, you were just so full of life and enthusiasm. And now it's kind of like... Yeah, <laughs> yeah you committed the crime of letting them know how shit the job was. Like, yeah. and, but So, like, I've experienced that. Um, but now, when I go to work, I experience respect. Like, when I talk, people listen. Um, and like people, like when, like when I have an idea about something, that's something that gets listened to. Like this is existentially a very different condition uh, mm. to like the other forms of work that I've experienced because I've never actually done a job uh, that involved respect other than performing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, um, it's like it's strange then that uh, I would experience burnout. Like, so even like the ideal job of like being like the artist living their dreams who can pay their rent um, is one that is like one that makes me sick uh, yeah, but- uh, pretty often. And I, th- I think it's got to do with precarity because if I'm doing a crap job and it's a secure job and I know that I will get a certain amount of money every month, um, then I can make certain decisions about my life. But at the moment, I can self-actualize the shit out of myself. Um, and then, But then I still worry. I have to check for every month to make sure that I'm able to pay for the basics of my life. 
I, I get that, but I also do you not see how, to a certain extent, you're actually buying into the into the the regime of self optimization here, where actually you're just like, I have this good job, yet so, I have all of these things, yet somehow I still feel bad. It's like actually that's just a part and parcel of working. And the thing is that now no, you're emotionally I, invested in something as no, well. No, so I, I I disagree actually because uh, I'm talking about having experienced burnout like mm. this very specific. It's not that I feel bad. Like I'm having having experienced actual burnout in this labor that I don't haven't experienced in other kinds of really dehumanizing and crap labor. Yeah. So, but like, no. so it's not that it's like, I'm not like, I think my point is that this promise of a job where you can uh, like uh, never work a day in your life because it's doing what you love. Like the, the, the flip side of that is that you don't have like assured means of, uh, subsistence yeah but I also think that I also think that actually there's another side which is this this idea which is that also as well that if you work a job you love and then you'll never work a day in your life but it also means that wait if you if you have a bad day at work you failed yourself in like uh, in a far more significant way you know you actually have to uh, you fail yourself on an existential level Absolutely. And that having a job is one of the most important, you know, see, this is what I mean. It's kind of like that. It's actually right. Far more than this thing. It's like not only so that not only do I have to like, I've so it's also even if you have like loads of really good stuff, you've done those really good things. If you don't have that much money at the end of the month for just because of whatever pure coincidence of the precariousness of the work, and then you lack the food that you want, you lack the clothes you want, or you can't do this other thing as well, then you feel like not only have I failed economically, I failed spiritually, I failed emotionally, exactly. I failed on on many, 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 many other levels. You know, it's a far, it's a far more into, like the self like the idea that a job that self actualizes you. It's just, it becomes a far more high stakes game, you know, rather than saying that's something I can do and walk away from. And it individualizes systemic problems. So rather than like, uh, like thinking artists should uh, be like, there should be a system system and framework for artists and all other workers to uh, Mm. have uh, like safe and sustainable working conditions. um, Mm. Rather than thinking that should be the case. It's like, I didn't self-actualize in exactly the right way, which meant that I yeah. will be one of the lucky few that gets the things that they need. And so I think this, my point is just that like, uh, not to, um, uh, not to like, um, like say anything about the two, like to compare the two kinds of labor and talk about which is harder or whatever, because I think that's mm. like, uh, like that's, um, pointless. Um, is it's just that even the prize that's held out by this model is one yeah. that is like it's uh, it's what's the word? It's like a, it's a poison chalice yeah. um, because actually the things that make us hap- happy are very often not things that uh, happen uh, at work. And while I do love my job, um, yeah. I, like the the structure of it is something that uh, can make me sick with burnout. Yeah. I, I believe thoroughly in a four-hour day and a four-day a four day week. Four-hour day? Four-hour day, yep. I like a six-hour day. I mean, it's like, I, you, you, like, right, I think there's, uh, there's, 
uh, if I mean, uh, so I've heard people talk before, like you have basically four hours of really where you can produce really focused, yeah, really good work. So I mean, by all means, you can then do an extra sort of two hours of like. Da, 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 yeah, why am I why am I making myself do an extra two? No, I agree with you. Four. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Before, you know, there's loads of things. I think that basically it's also that it's also what's interesting actually is that the the full full time working schedule shuts so many people out of the potential to do this like in terms of disability and all of these mm-hmm. things. So actually, mm-hmm. if we, we were to reduce the demands of people, there would be more people able to do this as well. Also, as well, obviously, because currently we have full time working hours for this very like this. We have bad jobs compared to the good jobs of the single breadwinner who could support the the family, and then but then you have still the same. But then you still have the same hours. And then you also have the, you don't have someone else at home doing all the housework for you as well. So you have to do also all the housework as well. So you have the same amount of, like, it's completely ridiculous. Um, oh, wait, there was something that I wanted to say that was relevant to something we were saying before, but I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what we're kind of both getting at is that, uh, that burnout comes from the structure of work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think burnout comes from the structure of work. I'd also say like universal basic income would be a great thing as well with this, where because it's just the fact that you that are because you know universal as an artist having a universal basic income so that you know you've got a great thing that you can rely on, and then you get to have nicer things when you work would be uh, amazing. And then also for everyone to know that they don't have to work um, and that they can like just exist uh, on a universal basic income. Like, whilst they take some time, eat the basic spaghetti for a while, like, you know, like, this would be, this would be an amazing thing that I think that would really enrich us all. Yeah, I'm actually, because I'm quite suspicious of the universal basic income in general, but I actually think that it's something that could work when it comes to arts workers. Yeah. Um, That I think, um, because, yeah, like, artistic labour is also something that, like, all labour is hard, like, it's, it's turning something that is a quality into a quantity, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so yeah. that's always like, uh, like that's always a like a strange and to a degree arbitrary translation. But artistic labor in particular, I read that article in Jacobin that I've never been able to find again. Uh, and the, the, <laughs> I the, the, hate those. Yeah, and the writer said that the thing that's actually, um, and it was a history of arts funding in the USSR and uh, and the US. Um, and they said that one of the things about the, the thing that's actually sort of like radical or interesting about artistic labor is that it's a kind of labor um, that uh, is really difficult. It's particularly slippery to put mm. um, uh, to put uh, like to to put a value on like uh, like a monetary and time value on it because you can go into the studio and then come up with like the best idea ever in 20 seconds mm. and then spend very often like an, a half hour section of a show when mm. I'm working on like in a theater, like half an hour of that could come from uh, an idea that happens like, and it takes, yeah, like half a second. And mm. then it like, I put two months worth of work into a 10 minute section. So like, like time functions very, very strangely um, with, uh, with, artwork um and that's actually kind of true of all labor that like um like when we're allowed to work at the way that humans actually do in our in all of our richness sometimes we work very fast and sometimes we work slow because because we're organic creatures 
Um, yeah. And so that work could better be structured, with, particularly with the innovations in technology, to actually serve uh, our animal-like nature, uh, which is that we're changeable and some days can work harder than others and some people can work harder than others and stuff like this. And so art, like artwork shows us this um, uh, like in a model that like how all, all work ideally would be structured. Yeah, I think this is super interesting. I also think that it's interesting as well that if we had more flexible ways of funding artwork, basically, because I don't really make very good work when I'm divorced from my context. So when I go to a residency and I get access to a studio space, I just sit there going like, oh, what should I do this? You know, what do I do now? And I could just sit around for three days doing nothing. And I'm like, and I feel very hard on myself. I'm very, like, oh, you're very lazy and grateful and all these things. And then other times, like with other conditions, within three to five hours, I can actually have like, Oh, like I actually just did, well, I just ran a workshop on Zoom recently for Comic Grassy. Yeah. And yeah. within five hours, we all had four original pieces and we all had a completely unique experience because it mm -hmm. was uh, a comicratic way of making work and it was done on Zoom. So these two things had never been done before. And it was, it was so easy to do because I, admittedly, because I was working with people I'd worked with before and I just arranged, you know, it was people within my social, it was very small and certain things like, and it was on a, a a very different scale to a lot of things but often when we're just given the space when we're given the space to to be creative which itself is a form of work like when we have the space to to optionally engage in that work it's amazing what can be produced absolutely effortlessly mm -hmm. and then versus this um Otherwise, we get very rapidly into this this huge Kafkaesque, like the castle scenario of bureaucracy and papers going everywhere. Mm -hmm. I think a great example is just programs like Blender and also uh, Linux as well, because Linux is a phenomenal, one of the most phenomenal, phenomenal advanced pieces of technology that is uh, worked on by people the globe over for free who all have degrees and all have jobs as an alternative operating system. And by the notion of every inherent uh, law of economics that structures all of our things of uh, time and money and how we regulate these things. Linux should not exist. There's um, there's like a an RSA a royal uh, an RSA animate about this actually I think, but like uh, uh, just yeah there's there's so many things that shouldn't exist and there's actually when we can come together and we can just ex expressly be together while having like that basic level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs like our, our food our shelter and our home like these sorts of things sorted it's just amazing what we can do together it's completely phenomenal uh, yeah and yeah it's also it makes me think as well like a lot of the work being uh, a professional artist is applying for grants and dealing with uh, uh like bureaucracy around arts funding yeah um and I've just been trying to pay sort of more attention to this um uh, like to how much of this, uh, like what this is for, the amount of work that you have to do to make it clear that you're not stealing or misusing this money is like, yeah. it's, it's hugely disproportionate because it's yeah. like, do you know any artists that misuse funds that they get? Like, I don't, <laughs> like, put, put her hand up. That's, no, no, that's no, not no, true. No, that's not no true. No one admitted to anything here. No, it's um, it's not true. Like I do not know a single artist who does that. Yet the amount of work that all artists are forced to do to prove that we're not like uh, misusing this like 
like measly bit of money that we are given to live uh, like to live our lives and and to work ourselves to the fucking bone is so unnecessary and it's even worse in Germany and so and I also yeah. so it's like it's it's also about like if you give so someone gives you a, like a studio for three days and then you mm. feel guilty if you don't use it to its absolute fullest if you don't use it for 12 hours a day yeah. for 36 hours yeah and this is all artists like yeah. all artists want to work really really hard this is this is like and so but we we work under conditions that assume that all artists are just trying to swindle swindle from the broader public Mm. and this is this is really interesting i think because it shows it gives us like if you look at the way that like you see this suspicion like with all workers like i was so shocked when i would work in when i was working in the call center when you would go into management just like how little work was actually being done yeah. when you go to the management floor. They'd all be talking to each other and sitting on each other's desks and chatting and stuff like that. But I was getting in trouble for going to the bathroom for too long. And so it's like, yeah. actually, like, like, once you get past a certain level, people are not monitored like this. It's assumed that, that work should be, uh, like, livable. Mm. So, like, I think, uh, like, I think that's another condition that contributes to oh. burnout. I also think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd just like to thank those managers for making sure that Olympia will always be the staunchest ally of the revolution. And... <laughs> yeah, like, there is no way that you could work in a call centre and not come out a communist. <laughs> <laughs> Me like, hello there, sir or madam. We're just calling to ask if you've heard of the, uh, the works of Karl Marx. <laughs> but I can still do my, like... Um, uh, Good afternoon, this is Olympia. Welcome to the... Oh no, what was it? Uh, Welcome to the Australian Government Department of Climate Change and Energy Efficiency. How may I help with your inquiry? (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Or good evening, this is Olympia. How may I help with your mobile inquiry? Or or, good good afternoon, this is Olympia. I'm calling because you're a valued Telstra customer and I want to make sure that you're getting all the discounts and uh, (laughs) offers that you're uh, entitled to. And then I was was forced to sell extremely expensive mobile phone plans to people who were born in the 20s. Oh my God, that's insane. Uh, (laughs) What you also didn't see there, listener, is Olympia's uniform changed with each different impression. With each different voice. (laughs) And a different wig. Different different makeup even. She wore makeup for once. like Three times in a row. Yeah, I think what I'm kind of interested in here is I'm interested in the idea of art as a criminal act. Well, that's obvious. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Just from what we've talked about, the idea of this, and then also the sort of links in with the idea of homosexuality as an intrinsically criminal act as well. I was thinking about this recently in terms of like violating certain inherent laws of production, you know, Mm -hmm. like this idea Mm -hmm. and that there are these things. And then also this idea that we brushed on earlier, which I even even brought into it by accident, which where people talk about the idea of the worker as an artist now and the way that we're doing... And coming, you know, like with these things, which then, which brings us back round to the idea that the artist is a thief. So I also as well this, uh, and which is, uh, despite the fact that actually the people who are being having things stolen from them right now are the vast majority of the population, whilst a very small minority are becoming incredibly wealthy from the yeah. way that we're all ordering stuff online during this pandemic because we have no. Well, there other was choice. that the meme that it was like uh which was like how much different uh billionaires had earned during the pandemic and someone was like what was that someone said about looting yeah <laughs> it's like these people are looting 
uh, a world that is going up in flames. Yeah, 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 totally. Well, I think also what's interesting with that as well is that I don't, I don't feel that the worker is uh, an artist necessarily, but I do believe they are engaging in a form of artistic labour in which have to rethink that. And I think the useful way to, to examine that is uh, Rancière's concept of dissensus. Mm-hmm. where he describes politics and art as different forms of dissensus. And dissensus is, is in opposition to the term consensus. Yeah. So it's a dissensual... What, I think what it is is that we're seeing right now is a dissensual reconfiguring of the sphere and what it means to work and to be a worker, which is incredibly asymmetrical because, of course, you know, it's that... It, with this pandemic situation there's you know like this this guardian author is like i'm actually secretly enjoying the pandemic and stuff like that and there's also there's certain times that i've actually secretly enjoyed it in certain ways and stuff but that's oh me too because, yeah i know we, we, and we've <laughs> talked about this and there, yeah. there are many things and it's also as well i i mean it's also i guess it's not our you know it's not our fault the, the pandemic is happening as well kind of thing so it's perfectly fine for us to find it yeah, depends I, on whether you believe in the secret I, you know, I think. Because <laughs> remember, I was like, like, I may have manifested it because I wanted to break from the party culture of Berlin. I remember you saying this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, I was like, oh, if only, if only something would force me to sit down and write. And then I was like, well, that'll do it. Um, yeah, so I think that's interesting. Yeah, but I think, I think this, this essential reconfiguring. So, but it's, it's, so there's, so there's, but there's just many different, there's met the, everything that it means to be a worker or to work is changing as well. Mm-hmm. Just our ways of thinking aren't necessarily doing it. Our linguistics aren't doing it. And I think the people who are all at the sharpest end of it don't have the ability, time or luxury to form critical theory about these things. Uh, which is why, also this is why actually uh, I believe uh, it's always very important to think about different class operations and different class experiences and class mobility within basically the proletariat or within that which is not the bourgeoisie. I always like to think of the way that Gramsci talked about the idea of like organically forming working class intellectuals mm. and that you needed to have people who had these different experiences to help us sort of like uh, bring bring these different things together. But like, um, yeah, it's sort of a bit like basically everything, Every I think that it's very interesting that workers are becoming artists, artists are thieves, queers are somewhere mixed in there as well, like with our attitudes of like, and a lot of this, a lot of this basically kind of comes down actually to a sort of almost like original sin kind of status where basically if you were born uh, not into this extravagant wealth where you can own things and you will receive dividends from those properties that you have, what you have inherited, you are bad. You're saying that they are bad. I, th- I feel that that's what the, the message is. You know, it's almost, it's almost basically... I oh, feel if you're like the, not born into it. Yeah, yeah, if you're not born oh, into yeah, this certain absolutely. thing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's, it's, like, yeah, like it's, original sin. Like yeah, yeah. This, like, the original sin is being, bo- being born outside the bourgeoisie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, I also, like, uh, just before we come to a close, I want to add, um, uh, like, as a side note, that all of this discussion, uh, like, like, from both of us and also, like, a lot of the sources... Um, takes place analysing uh, the position of, uh, of the working classes in like the, the uh, de- developed industrial West, um, yeah. uh, like in the second half of the 20th century. And the context of a lot of that labour changing is uh, union busting, um, mm. uh, like which is the attacks on uh, the union movement. So if you consider yourself a leftist yeah. and, you, and, you have, and you work and you're not a member of a union, 
then you are doing a bad job. <laughs> so, stop worrying about like moral purity and like all of that bullshit join your fucking union it's really important um yeah. and if you are an artist in berlin uh, uh like uh, i'm a member of verdi uh you can be you, even if you're a freelance artist uh you can you can join a union um uh and the other thing is uh the like offshoring so-called offshoring mm. of those jobs. So a lot of the, uh, like what we consider the more traditional working class jobs um, uh, are performed by people in uh, the global South um, under conditions that like people might recognize as like, you know, from the 19th century, oh, like European working insane. class. Yeah, and, yeah, so, yeah. and so a lot of people are working these same jobs, but without any of the benefits yeah. that come from um uh from uh from like uh like a successful trade union movement although there's like heroic trade yeah. union struggle going on across all of the global south yeah, and so that's yeah. an important context to what we're talking about because like people can say that like yeah like like what we what basically our whole conversation that's not to say that this is like that the working class uh, has changed like very like those same jobs of production are being done by people uh, also like you know like in Amazon warehouses and, and shit like no, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and also in the global south so like these what we consider traditionally working class jobs still very much exist and are largely being worked uh, worked with worse conditions uh, than um, uh, than uh, in the in the later half of the uh, in the t second half of the 20th yeah. century and on top of that a lot of the people who would have been doing those jobs are now working in service jobs which also fucking suck yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 it takes an insane amount of work to make a t-shirt like a t-shirt is actually an incredibly complex garment to make like and it, i think that the, the on average from videos i've seen that it takes five five different people working in five different roles to make one to make a t-shirt because it requires, uh, just because like if you were to do every single task that it requires to make a t-shirt yourself, you would need three different machines to do it. And uh, and they so cost a pound at Primark. It costs a pound. It's insane. It's completely insane. Yeah. But it's also, yeah. it's very interesting because basically as well, is that this is where uh, I feel that the, the biggest thing that has stood in the way of like working class liberation is the notion of the nation. Ha! Mm. is the notion of the nation is the nation the nation state. well that's why you have the nationalists who are the natural en enemies of the socialists right? yeah yeah that's the unnatural no we need <laughs> yeah which is also why the the need for an international right for an international general strike great now uh i let's just play feel... the international right now <laughs> yeah um, I someone recently sent me uh, a video of someone playing the internationale on uh, on a theremin, and <laughs> and, they, and they were like, "I thought you'd like this," and I said, "I hate the American national anthem," and they said, "It's the internationale," and I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> so that's an embarrassing thing I said in public for no reason. Um, but I feel like we have successfully uh, avoided. Or ne yeah, negotiated around burnout uh, uh, and made this podcast uh, a more long-lasting and sustainable yeah. future. So, yeah, and also we managed to have no actual sustained discussion around boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Keep dreaming, Nicola. Wait, Nicola? Nicola, Nicola. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Nicola. Uh, Bow, I got it. 
<laughs> now, uh, thank you to all of our listeners who've been listening to us every week since October. Um, and we hope that we have provided, uh, a, I was going to say like a ray of sunshine in like stormy weather, but actually it's probably just a slightly more funny ray of darkness in stormy weather. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, like a cloud that looks like a dick. I don't know. <laughs> that looks like a funny pair of boobs <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah completely yeah or like um, a high heel yeah exactly a piece um, of lightnings like a stiletto with a piece of lightning for the for the for the pointy bit yeah <laughs> the pointy bit of the yeah. heel i still want to say heel again i don't know uh yeah uh, i haven't worn I, for like a year whatever if you're sad about the fact that we're going week uh we're going monthly uh from the weekly thing please post about it on instagram your tears yeah. your bitter tears are so sweet <laughs> we'll and, see uh, it we... give it to us give us the endorphin rush yes exactly and if you uh, would like to help uh, contribute to a, a sustainable future for this podcast please feel free to uh, donate via PayPal at the link uh, in the thing and uh, we will see you next month if you have oh, a yeah. suggestion uh, well not it's going to be less than like it's going to be in like two weeks or something but like um, yeah. if you have a suggestion for a topic if you have uh, if you want to speak back to us uh or if you just have a burning desire to speak to the manager you can email us at slurryspeaks at gmail.com yeah and if you work at a, like if you work at a festival an arts festival in the uk and you'd like to commission us to like get back on it again please by all means get in touch yeah and we're actually totally fine and we we don't burn out we're really hard working and so please hire us yeah so please yep yeah, yep yeah, give us our funding <laughs> <laughs> Ciao. Oh, yeah, it was lovely to uh, spend this time uh, speaking with you as in Gloop. Yep, my nipples are lactating as we speak from, <laughs> like, thanks. Mine would be doing the same if they weren't so tiny. Uh, and uh, I'll talk to you very soon. Lots Bye. of love. Talk to you soon. Bye.